We're going to continue now our series called Journey to the Bible. Believe it or not, we're getting close to the end, folks. And um, uh, I hope it's been uh, helpful to you to kind of tie the whole biblical storyline together. And um, I do believe it was uh, worth uh, the effort of spending uh, almost an entire year just kind of going through the entire Bible and just showing how it all fits together as a story because I believe in the future it's going to help us as we continue to go um, uh, book by book, verse by verse through the Scripture. But this morning we're going to talk about saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. But before we begin, let's uh, pray together together one more time. Uh, Father, I thank you now for this uh, time. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, this very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he came to do and what he came to accomplish. And I hope we would be amazed, Lord, by grace again. And just remember, Lord, your love for us through Jesus Christ. God, I pray you'd help us to to see it, to feel it, to believe it, what you have done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Um, I decided to talk about this as part of our series because being saved by grace through faith or justification by faith um, is an important part of what we believe as Christians, particularly as, as Protestant Christians. And we also believe it is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I just wouldn't have felt right about going through the entire Bible <clears throat> and not spending a day uh, talking about what is really the heart of the Apostle Paul's theology, about what it is that Jesus actually came to do and to accomplish concerning our salvation. <clears throat> so as we kind of talk about this, I want to ask you a few questions. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? Now, let me preach the sermon now. Come on, man. Got to save me some space. I know. I asked. Your answers weren't supposed to be that good, okay? Got to act like you need me for something. Okay? Let me ask you another question. If you died and God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? Okay. <laughs> so, these are important questions to think about and important questions to ask. And that last question, by the way, if you ask the average person on the street, what they'll tell you is, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. What we're going to see this morning is that um, uh, that's, not, that's not actually correct. And what we want to see Exactly, is just how amazing a thing it is God has done in Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to do this morning is to kind of explain this short little um, uh, couple sentences here. And so it's this, uh, my sermon in in a couple sentences here. The law cannot save, so we are saved by faith in Christ alone, who bore the penalty for our sin, so God could be just and still forgive sinners. 
I'm going to read that again. The law cannot save. So we are saved by faith in Christ alone, who bore the penalty for our sin, so God could be just uh, and still forgive sinners. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. So now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. From Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. It says, For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The word of God, you may be seated. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk through this passage. Um, some have said, and I believe they're right, that this, this, is, this might be one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Because there is really no other passage in Scripture that gives us such detail about what theologically was happening in the heart and mind of God through the work of Jesus Christ, especially his work on the cross. So we're going to walk through that, that, those couple of sentences that we talked about earlier. The law cannot save, so we are saved by faith in Christ alone who bore the penalty for our sin so God could be just and still forgive sinners. So the first part of that is that the law cannot save. This comes from verse 20 there. Look in verse 20. It says, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So, so we're talking about justification. And we talked a little bit about it last week. And so remember, just a, justification means um, how we stand righteous in God's sight. How it is that we can be made right with God. Okay? How can we be declared righteous before God. In other words, how can we be saved if we're a sinner? How can we be made right with God if we're a sinner? That's what justification means. Uh, and in, this, in the passage that we read, in your Bibles, you'll notice that he uses the word justify, the verb justify, and then he also uses the noun, righteousness. Okay? And he kind of goes back and forth between the two. And what's important to understand, in the Greek is that these words have the same root. Justify is the verb dikaio, and righteousness is the noun dikaiosune. And I, the only reason I tell you that is so that you know that in the Greek it would be evident that when he uses the verb justify and he uses the noun righteousness, he's talking about the same thing. It's not, it's not perfectly evident in English, so you just kind of need to know that. When, we, when he says justify in his righteousness, and then he uses righteousness, he's talking about the same thing. To justify is to declare righteous. To receive, a right, to receive righteousness from God is to be justified. 
Does that make sense? And so, what does he say here in verse 20 then? He says that no one will be justified by works of the law. That is, by, by works of the law, particularly the Jewish law, but also I think it's clear that, that adherence to any type of moral standard in general cannot save us. We cannot, we cannot be saved or made right before God by adherence to any type of ex- external moral standard. And the reason for that is, Paul says, is because since through the law, he says, comes knowledge of sin. And that is, we can't be saved by the law for one glaringly obvious reason. And that is because we cannot keep the law. So th- any type of mor- God's moral standard... All it does is it, it, it exposes our sin. Any honest person, when they compare themselves with the law of God, what they see is not that they have kept it, but it's how they have violated it. And if you have violated God's law, then what the law does then is it doesn't save you. It condemns you. It declares you guilty because that's what we are. We are all guilty. We're all violators of God's law. Paul has already explained that thoroughly. And in, in earlier in the chapter, in, in verse 10, you can look there, Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. You hear that? None is righteous. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Since we have all violated God's moral law, then we are all guilty before God. And this is, this is important. It's a key understanding when it comes to Christianity. I mean, we have to understand the depth of our depravity and our, our fallen state before God. Because if we don't, the gospel will be meaningless to us. We, we won't care. We have to understand how, see, if God, God is the boss, God is the king, God is the creator of the world. He's the one who gets to decide who's right before him. He's the one who sets the moral standard. And how, and how he's going to judge the world. And see, there's many people today who think that the judgment's going to be something like this. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Or, or as long as your good outweighs the bad, I'm okay. A lot, a lot, a lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe that. But if we just take time to reflect on that, we'll see that that does not make sense. That it doesn't make sense that... If my good outweighs the bad, then I'm okay. Because think about this right here. Think about this fictional story uh, in, a, in, a actual, in a courtroom, okay? There's a judge, a man, he's committed murder, okay? And imagine this guy, and he, he admits to committing the murder, and then he stands up before the jury to give his own defense, and this is what he says. He says, members of the jury, I am not asking for mercy or pardon. I want justice. I am demanding full acquittal. Yes, I committed the murder of which I'm accused, but I'm not guilty. Members of the jury, you must consider all my good deeds, not merely as mitigating circumstances, but as a reason for exonerating me. My good, the goodness of my other deeds outweighs the crime I committed. So my good deeds require a not guilty verdict. If justice is to be done, you must find me innocent. Well, see, when you put it like that, you're like, well, that's absurd. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because all the good that you did elsewhere doesn't make you not guilty for a crime you really committed. 
If it doesn't work in a courtroom, in a human courtroom, why would it work in the courtroom of God? Why would we think that even if we did some good things over here, that it would make us not guilty of all the things we actually did do over here? That's not how it works. It has nothing to do with good outweighing the bad. It has the question of, am I guilty before God? Have I broken his moral law? God's moral law is good. It tells us the standard of righteousness to which we were made for. But in the end, it condemns us because it gives us no power to keep it. It is that high bar that tells us what God is like. But it's the bar that continually reminds us of how far short we fall of it. Of who God made us to be. We cannot be good enough to get to God. That's one of the basic principles of Christianity. We cannot be good enough to get to God. So the gospel is that God has come down to us. God has bridged the gap that our sin has made that we could not bridge on our own. God had to provide. Because we are sinners by nature, God had to provide another way. To be made right with him if there was any hope of us to be saved, to be justified before him. And that brings us to number two. So number one, the law cannot save. So number two, we are saved by faith in Christ alone. And and so that's where we see verse, verse 21 and following. He says, but now, so the law cannot save. We cannot be justified by the law. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So... Since the law can't justify us, then what hope do we have, right? If we're guilty and we're in the courtroom, what hope do we have of not going to jail? If we really did it, if we really broke God's law, is there any way that we could escape from the guilt of our sin? Paul says, yes, that God has made provision of another righteousness, not your own righteousness because you're not righteousness, you're not righteous, but God has provided a way to a, to a different kind of righteousness. What kind of righteousness? Apart from the law, God says, what is it? Verse 22, the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, since we are by nature too sinful to be saved by law keeping, God has therefore in his mercy made a way to be saved by faith believing. How can we be justified, declared right by God? Not because of our own works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Faith means that we are fundamentally turning away from ourselves. And not just from our sins, but we must even turn away from our own attempts to be good enough for God. Faith is that, is that understanding of ourselves that we cannot save ourselves. That we are unable to gain right standing before God. Therefore, our only hope is not to try harder, but to rely on Jesus Christ. Cast ourselves on Jesus Christ. Lay our lives and everything in our all at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, not for my sake, but for Christ's sake, have mercy on me. 
We must turn away from even our attempts to be good and just put all our stock, if you will, all our hope on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness and freedom and justification. And when you look and when you look away from yourself and to Christ for that, that's what Paul says when he says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In that moment, you are justified by God. That is that when we believe in Jesus Christ, Paul says, because we can't save ourselves, because we can't be righteous, it is when we believe in Jesus Christ that God in his wisdom and mercy, he declares us righteous in Jesus Christ. Even though we are not righteous, he declares us righteous in Christ by faith in him because we have set all our hope on the righteous one. We have denied ourselves, taken up our crosses and followed him. We have looked our old selves, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've looked those things in the eye and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And God sees that trust and he sees that faith in his beloved, perfect son. And because you have chosen by grace... Through faith in Christ, you've chosen to put all your hope in his son. Jesus, God sees that faith, that connection, that hope in his son. And he counts that to you as your righteousness. He declares you righteous. He declares Christ's righteousness over you because you've trusted in his beloved son. That's, what, that's how we're justified by God. It's a gift, he says. When you surrender your life to Christ, all your sins, past, present, and future, come under Christ's sacrifice. His life becomes your life. His death becomes your death. His future becomes your future. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. That's the gospel. When when you turn to Christ, despite all of your sin, God looks at you from heaven and says, not guilty. Not guilty. You have no righteousness of your own, but now Christ has become your righteousness. And guess what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since Christ is your righteousness, that means that if you have clung to Christ as your righteousness, your status before God can never change. Because Jesus forever stands as the righteous one between you and God. If you have believed in Christ, the Bible says you are in Christ. That means that God can now not look. It is impossible for him to look at you apart from looking at Christ at the same time. You're covered in him. You're in him. And so when he sees you, he sees his son in you, in you and him. So, Paul says, there is a righteousness that we can't obtain, but it cannot be earned. It can only be received. As a gift. It can only be received as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful song which put it like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. 
Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. That's the gospel. That's the heart of salvation. That you are justified, declared righteous by God, not because of you, but because you have set all your hope in the righteous one who stands in the presence of God at this very second. Covering you, pleading for you for before God. This is the gospel. This is amazing grace. And Paul says here plainly that it is for everyone. In verse 23, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So remember that Paul's burden is to remind us that everyone, in his mind, especially Jew and Gentile, but, but everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter where you live, no matter the color of your skin or the language that you speak, all across the world, some 8 billion people in the world, one way to God, through Jesus Christ. That is, that everyone without exception is in the same boat before God. You see, salvation by faith through grace is amazing. In fact, on God's part, it's genius. Because what that means is that there is no ground for human boasting. Any person who understands the grace of God will never look down on another person. Because you recognize that it is only by the grace of God you are what you are. And that person is just as need of the grace of God as you are. And so we, so we who understand this will never look on another person with disdain because we recognize that we all equally need the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if we don't deceive it, it don't matter who you are, you won't attain the kingdom of God. And it humbles everybody, everywhere, kings, presidents, and prime ministers, the poor, the paupers, and the outcasts. It doesn't matter who you are. God's not impressed by your titles. He's not impressed by your achievements. He's not impressed by your degrees. He's not, he's not impressed by any of the worldly standards that we put all our hope in. Do you know him? Have you set all your hope in Jesus Christ? Because that's the, on, that's the only type of credit. That's the only type of accreditation. That's the only type of righteousness, right standing that we can have before God is his son. And so it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have Christ, you've got nothing. And it's a gift. You can't earn it. And see, some people, they're too proud. They feel like if I get there, I got I to gotta pull myself by your own bootstraps. Let me tell you something. You can't get there by yourself. And if you're too proud to accept that, then you can't get into heaven. But if you will humble yourself and say, oh, God, I need you then he freely, fully receives you, forgives you. He gives it as a gift. And so the law cannot save, so we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Number three, who bore the penalty for our sin. Verse 24. 
We're justified by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So let's keep sight of what Paul's saying here. The law cannot save us. It cannot give us right standing before God because we we can't keep it. And so God has made a way to give us a righteousness before him apart from the law. And that righteousness is a gift through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But how do you, but how can God do that? How can God right, rightly give us that gift? He tells us, he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, what, what, what's, what's being understood here? Well, implied is this. Implied is that God just, God just couldn't ignore our sin. Right? That's what some people think. Some people think, well, God could just ignore our sin. He could just sweep it under the rug. He could just, he could just ignore it and not deal with it. But that's not the case. It is only through, the Bible says, because, through the redemption, of, through Jesus Christ and the propitiation by his blood that we can receive this free gift of righteousness. So let's look at that. Redemption. Redemption is a term that implies ransom or payment of a price in order to release someone else from bondage or slavery or servitude. That's what redeem means. It's, it's a... It's a it's a transactional term. It means the same thing in English, really. We talk about redeeming coupons, right? A transaction is taking place. That's what redemption means. Jesus, what Paul is saying is that Jesus came and he paid a price. <laughs> he paid a price. That's what Jesus said he would do. A related word is used in Mark ten forty-five. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, the gift of righteousness, the gift of forgiveness of your sins, the gift of being welcomed into the family of God, it's free for you. But the gift was not free. You understand what I'm saying? It's free for you, but it was not free. Somebody had to pay the price for you to receive this for free. Jesus Christ paid the price. You see, this is important because we live in a day where people just want a bunch of free stuff. Nothing's ever free. Somebody always has to pay. Somebody is paying for it. If it's free for you, if the gift of the forgiveness of your sins and righteousness before God is free for you, then somebody had to pay for it, and that person was Jesus Christ. He offered himself as a sacrifice, as a propitiation for our sin. Some translations say the the atoning sacrifice, but I believe the word's best translated, propitiation, and it's, it's an archaic word, we don't use it much, but it's a good word, you should learn this word. Propitiation is an offering or an act which, which someone gives in which it makes an offended party against us. It makes an offended party now propitious or that is favorable towards us. In other words, what Christ did was he propitiated, he satisfied God's righteous 
anger and wrath. People don't like to talk about that, but he satisfied our, God's anger and wrath toward our sin. He drank it when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What was he asking? He was contemplating drinking what? The wrath of God. Because of all the sin that you committed against God. And he was going to absorb it in himself. And the the thought of it was so crushing to his soul. That in his human nature, he could, he could hardly bear it. But at the same time, he was surrendered, not to his will, but to God's. And so on the cross, he drank, he, he satisfied God's wrath, God's justice due sin. Why? So that you wouldn't have to. You see, it's a free gift. Sin will be paid for. Either by Christ or by you. And Christ offers this payment for free because of his sacrifice. And because he drank God's justice down to the very last drop. Then that means that all that remains for those who trust in him is not wrath, but grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what Christ has done. We sing a song about that. Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, forgiveness receives. So the law cannot save, so we are saved by faith in Christ alone, who bore the penalty for our sin, number four, so God could be just. And still forgive sinners. So God could be just and still forgive sinners. Uh, Second half there, verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what is Paul saying here? The law cannot save us. It can only condemn us. So God has made a way for us to obtain right standing before God apart from the law, a righteousness by faith that you receive as a gift in, through faith in Jesus Christ, whom and that gift is, is able to be offered freely to you because Jesus paid the price of our redemption. And the Bible says, and Paul says that God did this so that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the redemption that was paid by Christ, the, his, the offering of himself, the giving of Jesus by God as the propitiation, the wrath satisfier for our sin, that had to happen Paul said, in order to show, he says, God's righteousness, verse 25. In that context, what it clearly means is, is it was to show God's justice, his, his just nature. Why? Because, verse 25, in, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What's, what's it mean? It's, it's implied, see, God in the past, for the sins of the past saints, 
Abraham, David, the past Old Testament saints of God, God passed over their sins. See that? He didn't, he didn't give them what their sins deserved. And, but implied here in Paul's logic is this, is that that wasn't, in a sense, that wasn't right. God overlooked their sins. You, but God can't just overlook sin. Sin has to be punished. And so God had to display his righteousness or his justice at the present time, it says, because he had passed over former sins. So that means that God, kind of, God, for a temporary amount of time, overlooked their past sins because he knew that he was going to pay for those sins in the future through Jesus Christ. That's why it says in verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that it might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there we see it. God couldn't just overlook sin. He couldn't just wink at it or sweep it under the rug. You see, just a lot of people just confuse this. A just judge in a courtroom can't forgive a murderer just because he's a loving and merciful judge. It doesn't make sense. If there's no justice, then he's not a good judge. He can't just wink at evil. God had passed over former sins, but he now in Christ vindicated his justice by showing that he didn't overlook them, but that he took care of them. He punished them in Jesus Christ. And that last phrase is the all important one. It says, all this happened so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is that it maintains his justice. He was just God. And at the same time, because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, God can be just and still justify sinners and still declare righteous the ungodly. And so let's just, let's just flesh this out a little bit quickly. The world often says things like this. How could a good God send people to hell? How could a good God send people to hell? But the biblical understanding of reality, that is of who God actually is and then who we actually are, if we understand that correctly in terms of the Bible, in terms of reality, then according to the Bible, then the problem is completely turned on its head. You see, this is, this is what Paul assumes in this whole argument. The problem of the Bible is not how a good God can send people to hell. According to the Bible, that's actually easy. There's no good people. There's no such thing as a good person. We're all sinners guilty before God. It's not a problem. God God could send everyone to hell, and he would be doing the right thing. The problem, according to the Bible, is something totally different. The problem is, how can God tell someone who's really guilty, how can he forgive him and still be good? You see that? It's a totally different problem. It's a totally different question. It's not how could a good God send people to hell. It's how could a good God forgive sinners and still be good. Did you know that there's a verse in the Old Testament that says it is wicked, it is evil to justify the wicked? Think about it. If someone broke the law and you are defending them and everyone knows they did it and you're trying to get them off the hook, that's not good. You're trying to justify the wicked. But what does God do when he forgives us? He justifies the wicked. Why? Because I'm wicked. I'm wicked. I'm not good. 
I'm a sinner. How can God declare me right? There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the sin being atoned for in Jesus Christ, in Christ living a life without sin. And my faith unites me to him so that I am joined with the righteous one. And that's the only way. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, we have the authority and privilege to to preach the greatest news that could ever reach the human ear. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what this means. That's what it means. That's how we can be free from our sin. And what does this mean for us? I want to I say this by means of application. It addresses, I think, one of the biggest problems that often happens in church life. And in my opinion, a misunderstanding that, that answers why many people have left the church because of a misunderstanding of this. Most people, I think, who grew up in church understand that they can't save themselves. So they kind of understand that. We get that. I can't save myself. I can't be made right with God by by myself. But, however, I think what happens lots of times is we can only get in by Christ, but I think many of us functionally believe, however, that we only get in by Christ, but then we stay in we stay in by my works. In other words, Christ, Christ get, get, gets me in, but I have to keep me in. That is, hear me now, that is that I think many people, when they view God, their view of God is not as a loving father, but as a perfectionist boss with a bad temper that's always breathing down your neck. In other words, I believe many people who grew up in church they view their Christian life primarily as a burden and a duty they have to keep and not a father who they get to love. And what justification by faith means is this. It means that your right standing before God does not depend on you. Let me say it a different way. God loves you. If you are in Christ, God loves you just as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. How good, if you're in Christ, that's the key. If you're in Christ, God can't love you more. And he can't love you less. Why? Because Christ never changes. If you're in him, He loves you the same, always, all the time. And you see, that's actually freeing. Did you know that? That's freeing. When you're you're in a relationship with someone and you feel like you have to perform to keep their love for you, how do you feel? You feel tired. You feel exhausted. And eventually what's happened? You're going to burn out and you're going to walk away, right? That's That's what's happening to people. That's why so many people are leaving the church. But when you know that there is someone who's going to still love you on your worst day, what does that cause you to do? It causes you to want to love them. It causes you to want to please them. Why? Because you know they're going to love you either way. That's what our relationship with God is like. And if we understand that rightly, it will not lead to license, but it will lead to grace 
and freedom and forgiveness. God is our Father. And so what we see is this, is, this truth is both humbling and it's freeing. It's humbling because I can't do it. Because I'm not good. Because I, I can't save myself, so I need God to save me 100%. It's humbling. And so I can't look at myself any better than anyone else, but it's also freeing. Because it means my salvation is not based on my performance. It means God's love for me doesn't depend on me. So I'm free. I'm free. And so the invitation this morning is this. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the righteous one who stands at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You can't earn your way to God. Trust in him. Believe in him. Accept who he is for you. And find adoption into the family of God. And believe me, if you really believe that, it will change you. It will change you. By grace, it will change you. And so, receive the gift today. Become in Christ. Be justified by faith and find who you were made to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. 